And in Romans chapter 1, part of what I mentioned during the communion service, in verses 14 through 17, Paul reminds us of this. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? Here's what he said. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, and here is why. For it, that is the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul had a burden to preach the gospel, whether it be to the Jews or to the Greeks, because he knew the power of the gospel. It is only the gospel that can change your life. We had this discussion in Sunday school this morning. We can try to change people. If, for example, if you don't like spinach, if you do, fine. But if you didn't, and I was trying to persuade you, there isn't any way I can do that. It's even worse when it comes to a person's soul. I can't persuade you for anything. Neither can somebody else. And we are of that uh, mentality just as a human being. But the power of the gospel, God is able to get into the heart, and he's able to change a life for all eternity. And only God can do that. And only the gospel can do that. And we find the need for all men in this text is illustrated by the Lord Jesus Christ. We find out that the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that he is not a respecter of persons. Why? Let me just give you an overview. In chapter 3, we have come, we've come from this situation. The Lord Jesus Christ was ministering to Nicodemus. Okay, who was that? He was a man. He was also a religious leader. He was an orthodox Jew. He was a very moral man by every indication of the scriptures. He was respected by society. He was a learned man or an educated man. And he was a seeker as he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a minimal oversight. We move from that and we move to chapter 4 in the account of John. Who remember, he's presenting to us the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Son of God, the Messiah. The very one that we need to believe on to have eternal life. And he moves from Nicodemus to chapter 4. And what do we come across? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. Not only that, but rather than a man, we come across a woman. We come across a person who in all probability was a servant, not a leader. Was more like a slave of those days. We certainly come across a person who religiously was what would be considered a mongrel. I had you read that passage this morning very purposely because it really, without that passage, you really can't understand John chapter 4. Because that shows us how the Samaritans, and I, Lord willing, I'll get to that, how the Samaritans became known for what they were. They had a mix of all the gods, as you saw this morning. That was not like Nicodemus. He was centered on one. We come to a person who we, we learn about in this chapter was apparently pretty low on her morals. She wasn't moral like Nicodemus was, as will be evident by our study, not this morning, but as we continue on in John chapter 4. We come to a person who was an outcast, not somebody who was elevated up in leadership, but this is someone that we come to who is an outcast of society, which is evident by even the time that she comes to the well. 
We come to a person who is probably less educated. Now, I'm not saying she wasn't educated, but less educated certainly than the scholars of the day, and Nicodemus was. And we come to a person who is like many that are alive today. What is that? Indifferent. Unlike Nicodemus who is seeking, this woman is indifferent. She's just coming to the well and then carries on a conversation and then the Lord begins to work in the heart as we will see. But she's basically indifferent and knows some religion, but it's not really a big part of her life. She's more wrapped up in men. She's more wrapped up in her own life than she is in a religious life like Nicodemus was. And we're going to see that God is not a respecter in pers of persons. He's just as concerned about that woman at the well as he is about Nicodemus, that priest, or that, I should say, Pharisee. Both are equally in need of being born again. And we need to have that focus. I'll give you that already this morning. We need to have the focus of everyone that we come across in society is in need of being born again. That's why Jesus said to us in chapter 3, you must be born again. He said even to the religious leader. And he's going to use this conversation by the time we're done to it to bring this woman to an understanding of who he is and her need for salvation. So whether it's a religious person that you run into, whether it's an educated and uneducated person, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, whether it is someone that's moral or immoral, you and I need to have the focus that God has and realize that that person needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wherever they're at in life, that is what is the power that can save, not you, not me, not religion. We need to have that focus because we come in contact with all different types of people. Another thing that we have here in chapter 4 to set the tone, and I hope you'll read the chapter on your own so you can get the essence of what's here. We have an example, I believe, of how to witness. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us a great example here in how to witness, and I would say also how not to witness to someone. We see the reality of man's need, whether it be a religious leader in chapter 4, or whether it be a simple woman who's a servant, then it's indifferent to the things of God. We see the need of the heart that is a reality. And by the way, I would say that to you, including everyone in this auditorium. Whether I know you or I don't know you, or know what's going on in your thinking, I can tell you this because of what I do know of the Word of God. The deepest need of your heart is to know the living God. Even if you're there saying, I don't even believe God exists. In your heart, you know that you are a finite being and there is a need for peace in some way in relationship to that. And the only one that can meet that is God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see the importance in chapter 4 of one single soul. Don't you miss that? Sometimes we're, we think of that, why, you know, what is it important to go to that person or this person? You have no idea how it is important in the, idea, in the, in the eyes of God, excuse me. Every person is important. And just like we will see here, and hopefully I'll give you examples in weeks to come, this one woman ended up turning a city upside down, but it all started with God talking to one woman who was an outcast of society. And sometimes we have no idea when we're witnessing to somebody how in the years to come, and I'll give you one example right now just off the top of my head. Many of you have heard of D.L. Moody. Did you know that that all started with a Sunday school teacher who had an interest in one young man and took the time 
And that Sunday school teacher has abundant fruit to his account because while talking to D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody ended up getting saved under that ministry, as many of you know, and the area that I'm going to this afternoon is right in the area where D.L. Moody preached. And he had a tremendous influence on many to come to Christ, all because one teacher was interested in one student's soul. We need to be interested in people. We need to be interested in concern. Most people don't even know that they have the concern, or that there's a concern in their heart, really, though they sense it in some way, but they need to know God. And we need to see that. And I'll give you one other thing that I, I would feel not, uh, if I don't say it, it, I wouldn't give you, again, the preparation for what's to come. I think this passage also shows us the reality of how God must do the work. Listen. Because what you don't find in the first few verses already is the Lord walking over to the well, let me give it to you, and walks up to the well and says to the woman, look, believe these four spiritual laws, bow with me, pray with me now, and accept Christ as your Savior. It doesn't happen that way. That's the way we have saturated evangelicalism with the way a person comes to salvation. It takes time. It takes the power of the Word of God, and it takes God to work in the heart. And even with this woman... We're going to see standing in front of the Messiah that she's got to believe on, it took time. And if anyone knew how to spring someone to Christ, he did because he's the Messiah. And he didn't turn around and say, just bow your head and pray with me now, and then ran out and said, hey, I got another profession of faith. That's the way we do it. It's not the way God did it. All right. Having said that, what do we got to? What are we coming to in chapter 4? It's pretty hard, again, a communion Sunday to get all this in, but. I want you to be prepared for chapter 4 and read it on your own, and you'll get more out of it when I do exegete the passage to you. But in chapter 4, what we're going to see very simply, I'll put it to you this way. Here's my summarization for you this morning where we're going. It's simply Jesus' journey to Galilee. That's all we have in chapter 4. He, he makes a trip to Galilee. I'll break that down into two simple areas for an outline. He has a stop in Samaria, verses 1 through 42. And then in verses 43 to 54, he arrives in Galilee. So he's going to Galilee, he has a stop in Samaria, and then he gets to Galilee. That's what you get in the chapter. Regarding his stop in Samaria, we get two different things that happen. Interesting. In verses 1 through 26, the Lord Jesus Christ testifies to a woman. He witnesses to her. Then what you've got in verses 27 to 42 is the woman goes and testifies to a whole city. It moves from him testifying to her to her testifying to the whole city. Now, in regards to the Lord testifying to her, we break that down simple. What is it? Well, today's message, which we'll see where we get with it, but the conversation regarding living water, and the second part of it is a conversation regarding life and worship. So he has two conversations with her to carry on. One deals with living water, then he moves from there into her actual personal life and then into worship. And that'll be 16 through 26. So today we come to the conversation regarding living water, and we'll see how far we get in verses 1 through 15. We start off with the setting, and I read that to you. I won't read it again, verses 1 through 6. What we have there as we begin to go into chapter 4, as the Lord's moving toward Galilee, we find out that we have a departure in verses 1 through 3. And by the way, in the Greek, that's all one sentence. It just continues on and on. It's one long sentence. And it's interesting because if you look at it in verse 1, the Pharisees get word of something. Now, who is the Pharisees? Well, 
if you'll allow me to say it this way, it was the Jewish Gestapo. That's who they are. That's basically because their thinking is, everything's got to be done my way or else. Now, I know you're never like that in your life. We're never like that with our children. We're never like that with our spouse. We're never like that at work, right? We are. We're, it's it's got to be my way or else. That's the, this is the way it is. And that's how the, this, these Pharisees were. When it came to salvation, when it came to religion, when it came to things, if it wasn't done our way, then take a hike. And if it wasn't done our way, it wasn't right. Really? And that's who the Pharisees were. And we'll learn more about that as we go through the gospel. And they hear about the popularity of Jesus. We saw that last time because his popularity is expanding. There's more people that are now coming to the baptism that his disciples are involved in than there were that were going to John. So naturally, these Gestapo, if you will, they want to know what's going on. Hey, what's going on here? Because the interest is certainly turning away from them. Jesus knew this, so he moves on to Galilee uh, rather than stay in that area. Now, why? I think that's a legitimate question. Why, just because the Pharisees heard this, was he afraid of the Pharisees? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, he's going to put them in their place by the time he's done. But why would he move on? Let me give you a couple of quick suggestions. Number one, his time had not yet come. This was not the time for the Pharisees to take him. He knew what they were up to. He wasn't afraid of them. But timing is everything with God, and it was his perfect timing. Let me just show you a couple of quick verses. Just go to chapter 7 of John. There are many, but for time's sake, we'll just look at this. Chapter 7 of John. Let's just go to a couple of verses. Just verse 6. Jesus therefore said to them, my time is not yet at hand. Your time is always opportune. By the, by the way, this is a reminder to you this morning. Even if you're a visitor here at the church, are you ready for that? Bueller and I, we talked yesterday, and as they said, she's a little discouraged and so forth, and we were talking about it. And one of the verses of scripture I turned to, I said, Bueller, I know you'd love to go home and be with the Lord. The apostle Paul was that way. He said he would rather be there, but the Lord wasn't done with him. And I said, the Lord's not done with you. And in Psalm 31, as I took her to that, I showed her, I said, your time is in the hands of the Lord, and when he's ready, he'll take you home. And she remembered that, and she was encouraged a little bit by that, I believe. And we need to remember, in this pew, you might be the healthiest person in this room, but your time can be any time. Are you ready for that? I can tell you this, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not ready. If you can't put your pillow down on your head at night and have the assurance that if you don't wake up, you're going to be in the presence of God, then you need what we're talking about today. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. And his time was not at hand, but our time is always at hand. And if you look in the same chapter at verse 8, he says it again. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast. Why? His why? Because my time has not yet fully come. His timing to do God's will was everything. One more verse just out of that chapter alone. Look at verse 30. They were seeking therefore to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. I think you get the point. And so I would suggest to you, while that terminology is not in chapter 4, that the Lord wasn't afraid of the Pharisees at all. However, his time had not yet come, and so that would be the primary reason that I would see that he would move to Galilee. Plus, he had some other things to do, obviously, and some other ministries to carry out. 
A second thing that I want you to see that I believe is also true, and that is there is no rivalry between him and John. Remember last time? John had the discernment to realize, while his disciples were concerned, hey, there's more people following Jesus than are following you. That's okay. Why? He must increase, I must decrease. No rivalry here. And that's a good reminder to believers. The Lord Jesus Christ was not interested in just being popular, not being interested in just having a following. And there were no, and there are none, listen, there are no divisions in the plan of God. There are many divisions among the people of God because of foolishness, because of sin. But in the plan of God, there's no divisions. There's no rivalry. And we need to see that. Jesus and John were not rivals. They were partners in accomplishing God's purpose. And you and I need to see that as believers. There is no rivalry among true believers or should not be. There should not be uh, rivalry among churches that are standing for the truth of God. And all too often there is. And all too often we as individual believers play that game. Another reason, the third one is he had an appointment, as we're going to see in just a minute. So the reason he wanted to go to Galilee, I would say, is, is his time had not yet come, number one. Number two, no rivalry, and he didn't want them to be seeing a rivalry between Jesus and John because they're partners just with different roles, and thirdly, because, uh, as I had just mentioned, he had an appointment with a certain woman here. And what happens, as we look at the verses, is there was a baptism going on. Now, he did not baptize. Why did he not baptize? It doesn't give us that answer either, but it says that he himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples. And if he wasn't baptizing, several things I want to mention to you right away. What is that? Well, while we're not sure as to why he wasn't, I would suggest this. Number one, he wasn't called to baptize. He was called to what? Save. To seek and to save that which was lost. That was his ministry. His ministry wasn't to baptize. It was to save. Now, why is that significant? Because of human nature. Now, listen up on this one. Because of human nature. I have no doubt in my mind, personally, that if Jesus had baptized, there would have been disciples that came along and said, I get baptized by Jesus. You get by Paul, that's nothing. My baptism was Jesus. You don't think so? That's the way we are. And what does that cause? Division. And the Lord didn't want anybody in a position that could turn around and say, I was baptized by Jesus and get the whole focus in the wrong place. And you know what? Listen carefully. There is a sense, even among believers, where our human nature comes back and that, that sin and that flesh begins to take over and we put priorities in the wrong place. And I'm going to use one with baptism. You say, what are you talking about? I, after I get saved, get baptized in Fellowship Bible Church. Now hold on to your hats, just in case you were into this category. I've seen, I went over to, the, I've been over to the Middle East a number of times and been over to Israel. There are, there's a big place in the Jordan River. I'm puzzled by the fact that they bring Christians down and they baptize them in the Jordan. Now listen, I'm serious. Why? Oh, I just want to say I was baptized in the Jordan. Why? superstition that's what it is 
I just want to say that I was baptized in the same river that Jesus, uh, where Jesus, uh, John was baptizing people. Why? Why? Is there special water there? No. You say, why go back to that? It happens in churches. Well, I've I got to be baptized in a Baptist church. Why? Is there Baptist water that's holier than Fellowship Bible churches? I'm serious. And, and what I want to get back to is this so you see it. It's within all of us to begin to do that. That is exactly what you have in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I am of a Paul. I am of a Paulus. I am of Jesus. And Jesus didn't want that. You know, we even need to see the same thing with baptism. It, all you need to do is be baptized once after salvation by immersion. End of story. That's it. And we have a tendency to think special things like that. That's what's the problem here. There were special people to be identified with John, other people that wanted to be identified with Jesus. And if you don't think that goes on with Christians, and they name drop, you know, I want to go to that church because I want to follow this guy. They wouldn't say it that way, but that's exactly what they're thinking. Or I heard this guy on the radio, I can't wait to go to that church. Listen, if pe people are true leaders, they are in the same game, if you will. And they are pointing to the same Savior. This is not about popularity. And if you think by going to some church and following some particular person, you had better be going there only because God is leading, or else what is happening in your own life is the same thing that we're talking about right here, which Jesus said should not be the case. We have to be careful. Human, human nature wants to take over. And I would also say that he wasn't baptizing because he was here to fulfill scripture, you remember, all righteousness. Why then be involved in baptism? Two things. His disciples, I think, want to identify with John because you remember the Lord Jesus Christ himself came to be baptized. To remind him prepared for the kingdom of God. And thirdly, what did he do at the end of his ministry? He said, in making disciples, you ought to baptize. So even to prepare for the future in the church and baptisms that should go on. So I would say all of that in verses 1 and 2, as we see centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't baptizing because that's not what he came for. And since I'm not going to get to do ex ex exegete the whole passage to you, let me expand on that. Why did Jesus come then? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is lost? If he came to seek the lost, who are the lost? All men are lost. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. You know, we do look at our society. Hasn't it been sad? Let's be honest. Hasn't it been sad just the last two weeks, some of the things that we've heard on the news? To think about a family where a brother comes in and kills his sisters. These aren't pleasant things. To think about someone who just goes and starts shooting up an immigration office. To think about another who just starts blowing up people. Those things aren't pleasant. That's sin. And you know, we can sit back here in the United States of America, for example, in this state and in this church environment and say, thank God I'm not like that. But you're a sinner. Well, I'm not that bad. Really? You've never hated anybody in your heart? 
You've never talked to someone and while you were talking to them, you were lying because your heart wasn't with them? You've never looked on another person and lusted after them? You say, yeah, but that's just a small sin. Really? In God's eyes, if you have fallen short of the mark of per perfect righteousness, you are a sinner. End of discussion. What does that mean? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What do you mean? Well, I go to, hopefully you go to, to a job in our economy. That's another difficult thing today. People are losing their jobs. But when you go to a job, what do you get? Your reward for working. What's it called? A paycheck. That's your wages. The reward for being a sinner, of which all of us are, youngest to oldest, here is the wage. It is death. For the wages of sin is death. You say, yeah, I know I've got to die physically. No, it's eternal separation from God. Why do you think Adam and Eve had to get out of the garden? By the way, this is just a little side trip. Do you know it isn't sin that makes us a human being? The Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to see in this chapter, was fully human. He was tired. He felt weary. He was thirsty. Okay? That is what made him human, not he was without sin. You say, but he was the only one. Oh, wait a minute. Adam and Eve were without sin until they sinned, and they were with God. What made them different is they were created in the image of likeness of God. What made them different is they were created and able to have fellowship with God because they were without sin. Did you ever think about that? But when sin came in, out they went. Why? Because they could now no longer be in the presence of God. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God. Well, then how in the world can we ever get back to a relationship with God? How can we get that peace that you talked about in our heart, Pastor Dan, that you're saying everybody needs? There's only one way, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Take a look at it. Let me not just quote it to you. Take a look at it. I want you to see it with your eyes as well. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... He's a conclusion based on the prior chapter. Having been justified, what does that mean? Declared righteous, having been able to be in the presence of God, if you will, by application. How does that happen? By faith. Where does that got to be? We have, watch this, peace with God. What's the means of getting that peace with God? Watch. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why is that? Why is it that I can only have peace with him? How about if I'm just religious? doesn't work. You can only have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Let me summarize some things for you. It tells us in the Psalms that God looked down from heaven to see if there was anyone that was righteous. You know what the results were? Nada. Zero. There were none righteous, no, not one. Why? Because the sin is inside of man. It just comes out in what we read. It comes out in what we see on our TV. It comes out with some of the things that I named for you. See, God's looked down. And what was his solution? That there's none righteous, none able, none capable of being good enough to restore a relationship back with the holy God. So what did he do? He left heaven. What do you mean he left heaven? God sent his only begotten son. Who's that? That is God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. He left heaven. 
He came here to earth, why? To pay the penalty and price of our sin. Pastor Chris named it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, uh, chapter, uh, 2, verse 24. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what he did. He took the penalty. He made the payment. He took the wages, if you will. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? That through his righteousness, we could be declared righteous. That's why. He came to earth. That's why Jesus Christ wasn't interested in doing the baptism. That's why John, who did the baptisms, turned to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. But he didn't stop there. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ because he bore the wrath of God on sin. And he took the penalty. What's for us to do? For God so loved the world that he gave, that's a gift, his only begotten son, we'll see about the gift in this chapter, that whosoever, are you a whosoever? Are you alive? The invitation's there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not be separated from God, will have peace with God, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what we're going to see in this chapter, he's going to talk about living waters. He's going to talk about a living, springing up waters unto life eternal what human being does not want to live and, and really desire in their heart to continue on living and living and living? We all do. But eternal life is a lot of time. In fact, it's way more than that. It's present. It's a life with God. It's having peace with God. And you can search money. You can search uh, a reputation, you can search prestige, getting ahead in a company. Look at all those big people that have fallen. You can search entertainment, you can search all your life for all the sex that you can get and so forth, and none of it will satisfy your heart. The only thing that will is to have peace with God, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father. We can't get back into the Garden of Eden, if you will. But by me, he said. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. With that, we'll close for today. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? We'll come back to the passage, Lord willing, in two weeks, because next week we'll be dealing with the resurrection. I also want to encourage you to come out Friday night as we reflect on the cross and the power of the cross, what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Good Friday, we'll be here together and have a service in which we reflect on that. But do you know the Lord is your Savior? You say, I don't know, I, I can't just believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Will you do this for yourself? Will you be honest in your own heart and say this? If what Pastor Dan said today is true, that Jesus Christ is the only way, and I have to believe on him, God, you show me. Not Pastor Dan, not your spouse, not your neighbor. God, show me. Take up a Bible and read it for yourself. Don't worry about what everybody else says about the Bible. Read it for yourself. Ask God to show you. Because it is true. 
And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, remember what we just did today. Remember the cost of our salvation. And rejoice in the inheritance, in the riches that we have in Christ. We ought to be rejoicing. There's no rivalry in Christianity. There shouldn't be. There should be joy and love and peace for God and peace with one another. And we should be reflecting these verses that are on the side of this auditorium where we're seeking to please God, we're seeking to put others first and not ourselves. Sometimes we forget and don't even read what's on those walls anymore. Fellow believer, reflect today on what Christ has done for you and live for him. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, we're just beginning to open up chapter 4. We see that the concentration of the Lord Jesus Christ was not to baptize, but it was to seek and to save those who were lost. Scriptures tell us very clearly that as he looked down from heaven, Father, you saw that there were none righteous. No, not one. And yet, in your love, you provided the way of salvation. Your way. Not man's way, not religion's way, but God's way. And by your grace, you've had it recorded in the word of God so we can read it for ourselves. We know, Father, that we could never be perfect. We know that we could never line up. And we know that in our heart there's a desire and a need to have peace, to need to have assurance that we know the one true living God, and only you can give that. And I pray that if there be anybody here that has not come to know Christ, that, Lord, you'd help them be honest, that they'd search and desire, and that you would open up the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would get saved. I pray, Father, for every believer that we would walk humbly with our God to realize that we have nothing to boast of and that we would see the importance of every living soul, whether it be a leader that's religious or a servant who's an outcast, and help us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them that you might do your work. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.